Don't touch that dial. You're tuned in to the Dread Podcast Network. From Nice Guy Productions World Headquarters overlooking the glamorous San Fernando Valley, I'm Mick Garris, and this is a very special AMA, Postmortem AMA, where you can ask me anything. And asking your questions is none other than producer Joe Russo. Producer Joe, how are you? I'm great, Mick. And you know what? This is the first AMA we've done in person in years. That's true. Yeah. Wow. We fortunately just did one of the interview shows face to face. And we and we did it our old format way, which is we, we tacked it on afterwards. Yeah. So, so <laughs> we're doing it the way we used to. The pre pandemic way. That's right. That's right. Uh do you want to jump into some questions? Because we've got a very busy episode. Uh let's do it. All right. Momo asks, our our good friend Momo asks. Do you ever think Clive would have considered a female pinhead? Uh, I don't know. I'm sure he would. I mean, his his stories are always uh, playful with gender. Right. And go all over the place. But the fact that the new Hellraiser, I believe, does have a female pinhead uh, is something I can't imagine he would have any objection to. Well, and in fact, I heard from him that he feels they've done a really good job with the new movie. Which is, uh, which is great, because that's going to be out in a couple days. Uh, but I was thinking, when I read this question, about your mummy script. Yes. Which obviously dealt very fluidly with gender. Very fluidly with gender, which had a transgendered central character. And uh, it, it, you know, sexual fluidity is definitely a hallmark of the work of Clive Barker. Yes, and I don't think there's any reason the Cenobites... Uh, would would have to be one or the other. That's uh, right. That's right. Uh, Steve asks... Now you've got both. Yes, now we've got both. Uh, Steve asks, do you have any idea when your biography, Masters of Horror by Abby Bernstein, will be made available in the UK? You know, we don't have a publishing uh, publisher in the UK at this point. The only publisher is ATB Publishing here in the States. And shipping, especially these days... Transatlantic shipping is really exorbitant, so it's very tough to be able to buy the book at anywhere approaching a reasonable price in the UK. I'm hoping maybe one of the uh, UK publishers that listens to the show might be interested in doing a UK release, but as of now, uh, you're stuck. You hear that, United Kingdom publishers? Get on it. (laughs) Get on it. It's available. All right. Paul writes... I recently rewatched the Universal Wolfman collection, which includes the 1946 She-Wolf of London. What are your thoughts on the original movie? And did they change at all after having adapted it for television? Yeah, well, one of the marching orders was don't make it too much like the movie She-Wolf of London. We (laughs) love the title. And at that time, American Werewolf was still fresh in the American memory. Um, but we don't want it to we don't want to have to pay for the rights because of it following the characters or anything like that. Uh, the original She Wolf of London wasn't really a wolf she wolf movie. It was a mystery that turned out to not be supernatural right. in nature. Right. And it's not one of the most thrilling universal catalog movies of the era of the forties. But She-Wolf of London wanted to have a little more of that attitude of Landis's American Werewolf. Uh, you know, it was cheeky. It was 
it had a sense of humor, and yet, like American Werewolf, we tried to make the hor horrific elements truly horrific and scary because there's such a nice balance in the howling and in American Werewolf and Werewolves Within. There's, there's a grand tradition of uh, lycanthropy uh, in scares and humor. That's right. Did, did, you know, I'm curious. Uh, did you ever ask or consult John Landis about uh, American Werewolf when you when you dove into She Wolf of London was there any like hey look at the script or um, we're thinking about this or well we know. we talked about it but never hey look at the script yeah. the executive at at this branch of Universal which was um, intended for cable TV at that time rather than network TV uh, Ned Nall who headed that up was very good friends with Landis. So he was very aware of that. And then, of course, John and I have been friends for years. Right. And we talked about it, but never in a consultory basis. Got it. Got it. Um, this is a very timely question because it's another movie that comes out in just a few days. Uh, Kevin asks, since it's coming up, did you ever consider a sequel when you were writing Hocus Pocus and what it would have been? <laughs> Never did. You know, I, I don't like to think ahead like that because that's a big assumption that we're going to make a movie that's such a big hit that there's going to be a sequel. Right. And I like my stories to be well-rounded with a beginning, a middle, and an end. Right. And not an open door that, you know, if you set out to create a franchise, you're bound to fail. Um, a franchise just comes out of an unexpected success yeah. or maybe even an anticipated one. But... It's rarely what the intent is. And certainly, as the mere writer, um, I wasn't thinking beyond this movie. I wanted to put everything I could into this one film. And Lord knows it's stuck with us for a long time. Yeah. And now Hocus Pocus 2. Um, Do you ever I'm, think almost 30 years later there'd be a sequel? Well, for the last eight or seven or eight years, They've I have because people yeah. have been talking about yeah. it at the studio. Uh, but um, here it's coming, and I haven't seen it yet. I'll be seeing it at a premiere a couple of days before it airs on Disney+. Plus. Oh, that's great. That's exciting. That'll be yeah. fun. That'll be fun. Get, getting to see all those characters on the big screen again. My babies. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> They're back. The witches are back. <laughs> the Sanderson sisters and Bad Billy Butcherson. That's right. Well, here's an interesting question that came in from friend of the podcast and former guest Howard Berger. Howard Berger. Howard Berger. You mean the B of KNB? That's right, the very one, Oscar-winning Howard Berger. He wants to know if he and the co-author of his book, Marshall Julius, can come and talk to you about it, The Masters of Makeup Effects. What do you think, Mick? Well, it's such a great book. I certainly think it deserves our attention and wait, is Who's at the door? Well, we better check. This is like an old soupy sales routine. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Howard Berger hey, and Marshall guys. Hey, thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having us come over. Uh, we're really happy to be here. We're excited to hey, have Mick. you. Hey, Mick. <laughs> hey, good yeah. to meet you, Marshall and Howard. Anytime. You are always welcome. You're one of my best friends in the business and just a sweetheart of a guy. And this book, which I just got two days ago. Oh, good, good. Yeah, we, is, were, we were hoping it arrived. It's phenomenal. It's beautiful. It's such a, a, a splendidly assembled, lovingly created history of makeup effects and monsters and magic. 
No, it is. And that was the thing, you know, I mean, you remember that the book making a monster. Yeah. Yeah. Is, yeah. Al Taylor and, and, um, and, and I, I, and Sue Roy. And I loved that book. And I always thought like, it'd be great if there was a sequel to it. And then I thought, well, why don't I write the sequel? But instead of doing the chapters on individual makeup, people like a chapter on Rick Baker and Stan Winston, we'll interview all these people and, you know, basically spread all, all their interviews and quotes through the course of the book. And, you know, and as you know, because you're in the book, um, I, we really wanted to cast a wide net. And it just isn't about makeup effects, people. It's how you as a writer and director see the world of makeup effects, how, you know, John Landis sees makeup effects and how he utilizes it, all the way to Fred Raskin, who edits James Gunn and Quentin Tarantino's movies and how he deals with it from an editing standpoint, and also actors like Ben Foster and, and James McAvoy. So I really wanted to go out, Marshall and I really wanted to throw that net pretty wide and, and get everybody's perspective. So, you know, and, and, and it's not a how-to book. Because right. I, you know, we've it's not the Dick Smith book. No, it's you know? not. And, and it's it, not the, the Tom Savini book. No, and, and it didn't need to be, and I didn't want that because I, I always find those books, I mean, I love those books. They're already out there. They're already there. And we, we know how to do this, we know how to do that. But we haven't heard the stories. You know, we haven't heard the stories of Kenny Diaz on that movie Roar, you know, uh, being attacked by real lions and tigers and bears. Oh, my. my. And, um, (laughs) you know, a bunch of other stuff. Yeah, I love those stories. They don't, some of his stories don't really, actually none of his stories have anything to do with makeup. Now that I think (laughs) about it, they're all to do with him getting abused or abusing or getting attacked by lions or saving people from ostriches. Or, I mean, his stories were really insane. I know that Howard always said that uh, the book is a celebration of uh, makeup and it's very positive we're not really going after anybody but i'm not sure kenny got that memo because all of his <laughs> stories are really mental and I, I love that it's a flavor that we really wanted that, that there's a real kind of craziness um to those and i love those stories i mean the stuff with him and, and mickey rourke it's it's just uh, <laughs> that mickey, relationship we know, we is like mickey, uh, yeah. <laughs> but you know we've had we've had yeah. we've had those sort of uh those legendary stories, but then to actually, you know, have them verified and to, you know, it's, it's like it definitely happened. I mean, you know, you've got Ken Diaz putting a, a powder puff on the end of a stick and, and hitting Mickey Rourke around the face with it. And yeah. that's just, you know, that's just good content, I think. Yeah. Well, what's great is, you know, you are an Oscar-winning makeup effects guy. And the passion for this you've had. When I saw the book, I thought, what is this, 150 bucks? It's a $40 book. And it's, it's so ornate and beautiful and, and great. Yeah, well, I, I appreciate that. Thank you. I mean, the, the, you know, that was uh, the other thing. We were, our, our hands are deep into this. It wasn't like we wrote it and like, oh, here's some photos. We were, I would wake up at 4 a.m. because Marshall lives in the U.K., so I would wake up at 4 a.m. every morning. We'd hop on Zoom and go through whatever the editor sent us and redo it all, like cut and paste and mm-hmm. rewrite. And I'm like, nope, this is wrong. This doesn't go here. This is da-da-da-da-da. And those guys were great uh, at, at Wellbeck Publishing. And um, they just let us go, you know, and do what we needed to do. And 340 pages later and 1,000 photos and 80,000 words, wow. you know, it's – and we just – you know, we really came up with the whole concept of the way the book looks and – and then that beautiful artwork, we hired um, Graham Humphreys. He's so yeah, great. great. So great. And, that, and initially, that was going to be our cover. And it really came to a big battle between us and them. And, and, I, and then Marshall had come up with an idea, and they orchestrated it. And we were like, okay, if we have to. And I actually, it's funny, I got a 
email from Guillermo and Guillermo was like I you know what's happened to the cover you, you know where's Graham's baiting and I said oh we, I lost that one battle and then it was just like silence um, <laughs> but um uh, but yeah, getting Graham was a big thing, you know, and that took months. Like we reached out to him. It really? took like six months for him to, because he's been so busy. Oh, he's so you know? good. And he's so good. And I'm so like, that's the guy. We got to get the, the And he's very from. unique. He, he, you know, uh, an artist with his own signature. Mm-hmm. He's so great. Very much. Very How much. How long ago did you guys start planning this? Uh-huh. See, that's, see, I think for me, um, the book is a testament to stalking because, you know, <laughs> from when I, from, I mean, how am I met in, um, 2006 and this is the first time that we've been in the same room together uh, yes by the way then. thank you for flying out specifically to come on specifically i'm going yeah. home this, this evening it's yeah. just like just 15 hours from the yeah. airport literally yeah. yeah so um we uh what so we met in 2006 when did uh, the walking dead start because i think we, we that was 2010 right so like two oh so that was two yeah, that was 2010. So, um, so 2011, because I remember the book, the, the the show had been out for a season already. And we were talking about it on the phone, and that's when we started talking about doing a book together. So that was uh, 11 years ago, and uh, that was. Um, but you're always too busy having the most, you know, amazing glittery career, and uh, and of course glittery I was off, right. you know, having. Uh, <laughs> it's glittery. I mean, I'm quite jet lagged. Um, but uh, you know how how I would say I, every six months I would reach out to him and I would say, so how why don't we start doing this book? And 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 how's like oh well I can't I'm gonna you know, make this, you know, incredible Oscar winning film or you know, <laughs> I'm going to work with Satoni S- S- or, you know, I'm doing another like eight films with Mark Wahlberg or, you know, and it's like, I can't say Howard, how dare you have an incredibly successful career now because I'm, I'm just in England, you know, twiddling my thumbs, waiting 10 years for him to get on with it. Did and you guys, did you guys go pitch the idea to a publisher first? No, or? no, no. We, we were like, we, we completely did it ass backwards. You know, when, when finally the pandemic hit, okay, I, I realized that I just said finally the pandemic hit like every year like i was like positive, like i was right? like yeah. but people have said that it's good that we found the positive in the pandemic that's well, we what all we saying. all had to take a pause imagine right. howard you probably did too right yeah, I mean, yeah and that's that's really what happened it's like marshall got me when you know i had there was no way i was going to work because there was no work so um so yeah the timing worked out really well yeah i i i, I emailed howard and i said let's have a chat and 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 i said to him i said um you are not working. You are not going to make a film with Mark Wahlberg. You are not working with Satoni. <laughs> you know, you're just at home. Everyone is just at home. Why don't we start writing the book? And and Howard said yes immediately. And from that moment, we st- for every day for for two years, we did it. Howard, we, we started sending each other lists of people that we wanted to speak to and chapter titles and stuff. I mean, like instantly. It's like I went out after speaking to Howard and I told my wife, I said, Howard and I are writing the book now. And uh, then we spent two years doing it. So it was like, it's quite a long time in the making. So Howard, tell me about that process because you're a guy who builds things and now yeah. you're a guy who's writing. Yeah, go figure. Well, I think, you know, I mean, you know, Mick, we're, you know, Greg and myself, uh, Greg Nicotero and myself, we're always super creative. You know, it's not just like, we're not just this, you know, which is great. We like to do a lot of other things and, and have. And, and um, you know, uh, it's fun to just try different, anything creative, you know. So during the unfortunate pandemic, um, we, I was more creative than I ever had been in years because usually we only get like two weeks off, 
yeah. a year, you know, during Christmas. And, and you know, you're doing whatever. But this was like, I had six months off. And I'm like, okay, we're going to go big time. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, I figured, again, using like m- making a monster as a point of reference. Um, it's like, okay, well, here's my list of people. I'm going to reach out to everyone and see if they're, you know, up for this. And everybody said yes, which was... Well, a, you, you got know. such an amazing array of people to talk to you about this magic. Tell me some of the people. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, like I had mentioned yourself, of course. Uh, <laughs> uh, Billy Corso, who we both are great friends with. Yeah. Having Billy was amazing. He was so generous. Uh, Richard Taylor from Weta, you know, got uh-huh. him. Um, uh, Nick Dudman, who had done Harry Potter and a ton of other stuff. Lois Burwell, um, you know... Uh, uh, God, we had so many and people. filmmakers. And, you got John and great, Landis, yeah. We got, got John Landis, yeah. Guillermo, right? Guillermo del Toro uh, wrote the foreword, and then Seth MacFarlane wrote the afterword, which was really, really amazing. And because um, you do the Orville with him, right? I've done That's the right. Orville and and uh, another movie with him, and he was so gracious. And <laughs> and Guillermo was funny because I I didn't want to bug him because he was you know trying to get Nightmare Alley done. Yeah. And I just put you know I reached out to him like a year before and. And then I'd keep reaching out, and he's like, listen, i, I got to get this movie done. And I'm like, I know, I know, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> and then he finally sent it, you know, when he had the time. And I was like, this is brilliant. And then I'd get another email 10 minutes later. No, 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 I rewrote it. Do this. <laughs> and then I'd get another email 10 minutes later. No, no, scrap those. This is the one we want to go with. You know, and he's like, make sure it's this one, okay? Erase the other ones. And I'm like, okay, I got it. Pretty sure um, that was the process of getting him on our podcast. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's, yeah, it's, it's, but I mean, we, you know, it's just so many great people. Jamie Kelman and, um, you know, Blair Clark, who's a VFX supervisor. And, um, you know, and of course, John was funny because we, we basically blocked it out like two hours, you know, mm-hmm. per thing. And so we hit like three hours. And John's like, wait, 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 I'm not done. I got more to say. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. John, I got to go. I got to go. But uh, it was great. It was great, you know, and everybody was so gracious. And so once we did the interviews, uh, Marshall tar- started transcribing and figure out what we were going to use. And then I went back to everybody and said, hey, I need photos. And I'm thinking about this, this, and this. Instead of just saying, oh, just give me whatever you think. That's a lot of work. So we were able to narrow it down. And we got a lot of photos. Like Kazu, you know, <clears throat> is in the book. And Kazu was like, um, I didn't wasn't sure how much we were going to get out of him. Because sometimes he's a quiet guy and very reserved. And he, he talked and talked. And it was great. And about different things, too. That, that was interesting, Mick, because... You know, and I, through the, your podcast, I'm sure you feel this way. You're talking to people you've known 40 years, you know, but you find something new. Yeah, right? yeah, all the time. And, all the time. And, uh, and I learned so many new things about friends and people I'd known forever and worked with. And Kazu was one of them. He's really interesting in what he, how, his perspective on things. But he sent us like tons of amazing photos, like super, super beautiful things. Well, the great thing is you already had photos from stuff we've done together. Oh, tons. And listen, I <laughs> More shoot. More than yeah, I've got. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> I shoot and shoot and shoot. I always have a camera on me on set. So I was able to go back you know, 40 years yeah. and pull stuff. I mean, even when I worked at Stan Winston's, you know, like I interviewed wow. Alec Gillis and I had stuff of us working on Alien, wow. you know, at Stan's or in Predator, you know, and Steve Wang and all these guys. So it's like I have, I've been shooting for decades and and so is Greg, you know, so it was easy to, for us to pull photos and even, and oh, and what I wanted to do is make sure that they were photos we hadn't seen before because so many horror books, like, you know, you go to the store and you're like, oh, the horror, the story of Universal Monsters. And you're like, right. yeah, I've seen these photos for 50 years, yep. you know? Yep. It's just the unit photography, which is, of course, is super important, but I didn't want to go that route. I wanted to have stuff that had never been seen before. Like Billy Corso gave me stuff he did in high school. Wow. You know? And so I've got stuff like his, wow. his drawing of his, a Frankenstein he did and the makeup he did when he was in high school, you know? And, and then same with Jamie Kelman, who... 
you know, for the year with the year ET came out, he was convinced he was ET, and his grandmother made him an ET costume, and he wore it for a year. <laughs> so it's him dressed up as ET, you know, going to school or whatever. And, and it's, that it's same year in '82, Carpenter made the thing. Yep. he would not allow a unit photographer right. on set. He said the only art you can use is frame blowups, which is unfortunate because we there is yeah. no be, like. There's Once nothing. in a while, something will pop up. Like Kenny Diaz had a couple things. Margaret Prentice had one or two things. But, you know, uh, and of course, I reached out to Rob four times. I left four messages on his cell phone. Didn't hear back, but I get it. That's cool. Um, yeah, but, but we don't know what. Yeah, but we but on. we honored him in the yeah. book, you know, yeah. and, and there are. You'd have you know, to. You have to. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you have to. And, we, you know, we honor Dick Smith, Dick, uh, Stan Winston, you know, Stuart Freeborn, a lot of a lot of, yeah, you know, a lot of fallen uh, you know, heroes and idols, and that's what I wanted to do when I was a kid. I wanted to make monsters yeah. and do makeups and stuff until I learned that for me it's a lot easier to write. <laughs> <laughs> now, yeah, you write well, well that's what's great because whenever I get a script from you, I was saying this to Marshall on the drive over, every time we get a script from you. It's like okay, this is going to be great. And I said <laughs> well, I will do you. anything for Mick Garris, and I, I will always, do anything. But for it's Howard true though. I, you and I have had so much fun on every show, every time, and we're super. happy. I don't think I've great. ever seen you raise your voice. No. no, and same with you. Yeah, you know. And I know last time I was here, I and I, I always love what you said—the underserving. Yes, yeah. and I and I use that all. I'm like, you know, you're underserving me, and that is like the cut of all cuts. When I heard that, I was like, it felt like there was a knife in my. He didn't, by the way, Mick didn't say that to me. No, uh, I never. But when would. I heard that, I was like, oh god, that really says it all. But Mick's, <laughs> but the way you, but you can't do it in anger. You just like, no. I just want to say that you're underserving me. <laughs> yes. and I was like, well, holy moly, that's the worst. But but it's um, but no, we've always had a great time. We've always laughed. We've always made great things. Yeah. You know, you've given K&B tremendous opportunity and, you know. And oh, well, I, you guys have never delivered anything short of way beyond well, what thanks. was required. But, I mean, you you know, you know as many makeup effects people as I do. Like Joel Harlow is in yeah. the book. Yeah. You know, Joel is now the superstar. Like, he does every movie that I don't do and, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and vice versa. And, uh, you know, and Billy and just, I mean, all these guys, Norman Cabrera, everybody. So it's, uh, it's, it's you know, it's great. Well, I know there are times like when Rick would be connected to Eddie Murphy. Right. There was nothing else that he could do was Eddie Murphy, Billy Corso and his mm -hmm. connections. Is there anybody like that for you that uh, an actor who says, I want to work with you, don't do anything else? Well, there was a period, there was a good like eight years I was just working with Mark Wahlberg. And, right. and there'd be shows that he had a lot of stuff in. And then there'd be shows that I was there to give him a Kleenex and a mint. You know, I did my seven minutes a day of work, and but I appreciated. It. I loved working with Mark Wahlberg; it was great. Um, but yeah, you know, you work with people. I I uh, I feel like I'm 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 I like that, but I I really love it when a director or or producer will call me back because that's yeah. really when I know I've done a great job. Like yeah. you know, how uh, actors always say, you know, oh, I, you're going to be on my next movie, and then you never <laughs> see them ever again. Right. But a director will say, listen, Rob, I've got something else coming up. Let's talk, or a producer. Yeah. And that really, you know, and that's part of the success of K&B for 35 years is that, you know, Greg and I have created a company where it's all about repeat business. I mean, th there was that period where we did a Toby Hooper movie, Wes Craven movie, Sam Raimi movie, Mick Garris movie, <laughs> you know, uh, John Lannis movie, at least one a year. Yeah. You know? And yeah. then, and then you know, uh, things change. And, you know, unfortunately, we've lost a couple of those great people, which was very sad. And. And then you and start, the system changes. And the system changes. Yeah, you don't get. You know, Joe Dante. You know, you know. There's a guy, 
who should be making movies every year. Yeah. You know, I mean, yeah. one of my favorite directors, and every movie he's made is fantastic. Yeah. Yep. You yeah. know, and it's like I don't get it. You know, same with John Landis. Yeah. You know. Yeah. But but having an opportunity to talk to all these guys, and and John, of course, has so much insight. There's something Marshall came up with uh, regarding. Um, our interview with Rick Baker and John, and we decided to um, tie them together as if they were being interviewed at the same time. And it's, okay. it's rather funny because John tells the same story one way and then Rick tells the story the other <laughs> way. So <laughs> it's a little contradictory. They're two different perspectives. Two, yes, where, you know, Rick says, you know, I, you know I, we didn't have any time or money on, or, you know, we didn't, it was the biggest budget on American Wealth Rick had had at that time, but still was super fast at it. And then John was like, he had all the money and time in the universe. <laughs> so it was just fun. And those two were just wonderful. And to get Rick Baker to agree, you know, because I'm a diehard Rick Baker fan. And, and I, he's done his own book. Yeah, and he did his, yeah, he did Metamorphosis, which is, which is amazing, you know. And, uh, and that's really, a, I mean, that's all Rick Baker's life right there. You yeah. Know? So, but, um. But yeah, no, we just we really lucked out, and it was good timing, and everybody was receptive to it, and so far everybody seems to really like it. And now you're going to the Academy Motion Picture Academy Museum, yeah. to do a big signing there. We this are, weekend. we are. Well, we've got a bunch. We got Dark Delicacies, yeah, and there. then we're going to do this other event at the Montauban Theater, and then it, it, the last one will be uh, um, will be that one at the Academy Museum, and then I'm going to go to London and do a couple, do Forbidden Planet. Oh, great. So, and, That's and, a great Yeah, we shop. just set that up and then do another couple over there in London, too. So it'll be great. Where can each and every one of our listeners find your book? Um, well, you can <laughs> if you go to mastersofmakeupeffects.net, uh, it's got tons of fun merch. But also it gives the links to uh, where the signings are and where you can order the books. Great right. T-shirts, too. Great T-shirts, great t-shirt. right? Yeah, I have yep, one. You got them. Yeah. You guys got your shirts. And uh, tons of cool stuff. And... Um, but yeah, it's out everywhere. So I mean, you know, it, it just was released in the UK. So it's all through the UK. And I know that we uh, have a, a deal. Uh, it's going to be translated in Chinese. It'll be in. So oh, I wow. want to see my name in Chinese. Yeah. Which is really <laughs> interesting. Get a tattoo. See yeah. yeah. We'll see everyone's name in Chinese. And we <laughs> think right. there's going to be a few other languages as well. Yeah. I think Spanish or Swa- Swahili, I think. Yeah, definitely Swahili. Yeah. I want yeah. that edition. Yeah, that yeah. one. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so but I mean it's it's great. It's all over. You know, we sold out four weeks ago in the LA. Um, wow. In, in I mean in US. Yeah. So Amazon is now struggling to get more books. And, I know Dark Delicacies ordered two hundred or more. Two hundred. Yep. Yep. And um, I think the Academy Museum the same. And and uh, we're gonna have three hundred books for this event at the um, the at the Montauban. Yeah, yeah. And. Um, Whole bunch Plus, Howard's got about 300 copies in the boot of his car. So if anybody, <laughs> yeah. you can literally, if you see Howard on the highway, just flag him down and he will sell He's you a book. He's hard to miss. Yeah. That's yeah. right. He has an IZL receiver. You could just yeah, swipe your card, basically. Yeah. I'll be like one of those guys at the, at the uh, foot of the freeway, but I'll have the books instead <laughs> of I love oranges it. or roses or something uh. like that. So. Well, we got we got a couple other questions uh, from our Ask Mick Anything. Do you guys want to stick around and answer the questions with Mick? Sure. Yeah, Great. why not? Great. Okay, cool. Uh, well, Jebediah wants to know, and this is something that I think you guys can all probably speak to. What are the top horror movie festivals or conventions you've been to around the world? Oh, well, Sitges is certainly uh, near the top of the list, if not at the top of the list. Um, uh, the Fantasia in Montreal is is fantastic. There's a couple to start with. The Overlook Film Festival 
is really terrific. What are the ones that you've gone to? Yeah, Sitges, uh, I would say, is the number one. We went well. together. Yeah, we went together. That. Yeah. That was so fun. That yeah. was what did you guys, what were you there for? Do you remember? Um, uh, I think Greg and I, I, I won like the award that year, the time machine yeah, thing they give out. I got one the year yeah, before. Yeah, yeah, you got one and then Greg got one and um, we just went over there for that and then it just so happened that that's where Guillermo premiered Pan's Labyrinth. That's wow. right. And, and And I think I showed Riding the Bullet there. I don't, I don't, did you? I, oh, did, it was 2004? Maybe. Uh, I'm trying Pan, to remember. Pans would, have, Pans would have been later. That would have been like 2006 or seven. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. I would have definitely gone to see Well, see then it, it was yeah. Masters of Horror. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, that makes yes, sense. It had right. to be Masters of Horror. It was Masters yeah. of Horror. There you go. Yeah. But it was, that was a great <laughs> festival. Um, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of good stuff, you know. But you probably go to way more than me. I don't. I don't. Well, I, you know, Buchan in in uh, South Korea is fantastic. Yeah, you go. You hit them. I've all. never been to Fright Fest in the UK. They keep saying mm. they're going to invite me, and they never do. So, huh. the hell with them. They better invite you. Gosh, darn it. <laughs> I see you at some of the local ones. You're always at Monster Palooza. Oh yeah, yeah. I like those. Yeah. Those are fun. You yeah. know, like Monster Palooza, Son of Monster. Oh, that, I'm going to be signing at Son of Monster Palooza actually. Oh, yeah, me too. <laughs> no, I saw you posted that. I was like, oh, I'll, hopefully I'll be right next to Mick. Yeah, hopefully so. our tables will be near one yes, another. Yes, they will touch. What's <laughs> great about Monster Palooza and makes it, to me, the best of all the conventions is the artists. Yeah. The makeup artists are there themselves, and they are either doing demonstrations or they have their work on display right there for you to see, and none of the other conventions do that. No, you're absolutely right. And, and Monster Palooza has really taken over L.A. Yeah. You oh, know, yeah. It's, and, and I like the fact that Elliot, who, who runs that, has just kept it in yeah. L.A. It's yeah. not like, oh, we're going to do a New York one, or we're going to do a London one. Right. That's when you just start to water it down. Yeah. yeah. But everybody comes from around the world to Pasadena yep. to go to Monster Palooza, and it's, it's so much fun. This last one was so wonderful. Yeah, oh, yeah, great. especially because it was the first one post-pandemic. Yeah, it was so it was great. great. It was packed, too. Yeah. Packed. I remember great. the one right before the pandemic. Uh, Mick and I bumped into Greg there, mm -hmm. yeah. and a fan came up to him and literally started hyperventilating. And, and it was so sweet. Greg was so sweet with him. He, like, calmed him down and, like, taught it was, it was It was just – it was really wonderful cool. to see how uh, excited he was and also, like, how – graciously Greg handled it. It was, it was pretty cool. Yeah. Pretty special. So you never know who you're going to see at those, yeah, those conventions. Yeah, that's for sure. All right. Goat Boy wants to know. Holy. <laughs> who, and, and this is something that Howard can, can probably speak to even maybe better than Mick, who of all of the masters of horror, the directors, is the funniest one to have a drink with? <laughs> wow, the funniest one to have a drink with. Well, Toby was fun. Yeah, yeah, man. Good old Toby. Yeah. Yeah, yeah man. I'll tell you what. Give me my cigar. Yeah, hey, um, yeah man. <laughs> I, that, uh, yeah. Toby was a blast. Uh, gosh. I'm, I, Landis is probably oh, the funniest. Oh, John, John's the funniest. John's the funniest with anything. Yeah. Hands down the funniest of everybody. I mean, yeah. I remember the f first episode, Dear Woman. Yeah. And John was just, God, he was funny as hell. <laughs> so, yeah, he was... Uh, he was a handful, but uh, yeah, no, I it was it was good, it was good. Um, I had dinner with Don Coscarelli oh, the yeah. night before we started shooting, um, but I wouldn't say that was the funniest time. But it was nice to have dinner with Don. Yeah, yeah. and uh, but yeah, I don't know. What do you What do you think? Well, I mean, it was such a great opportunity, Joe Dante and 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 John Landis and Coscarelli and Toby Hooper and John Carpenter and uh, you know. Uh, and the Japanese directors as well, mm -hmm. uh, Miike and uh, Norio Saruta. 
and Dario Argento. I mean, oh, yeah, God. so unlike anybody Actually, else. Actually, Dario, yeah. He was great. He was so different than what I anticipated. Like, yeah. I remember Dario, you know, we do something, like for Pelts. Right. And he was like, I have to go home and, like, pray, you know. And I'm like, yeah. what, what, wait, what? He's like, oh, yeah, I've done terrible things today. <laughs> and it was just like, he, but he was He's so, a Catholic. Yeah, yeah. he was yeah. so amazing. And to be on set with Dario twice, you know, yeah. was uh, that was a dream come true. Yeah. But that was, you know, Stuart Gordon, you know? Yep, Stuart, of all, course. All those guys. Larry Cohen. No, Larry surprised me. Because I always thought, like, okay, you know, seeing his movies and hearing, and I'm like, he's probably a really gruff guy. He was the sweetest guy. <laughs> yeah. Like, I I loved Larry Cohen. I thought yeah. he was wonderful. And um, We didn't have a stinker in the bunch. No, no. I thought, and, and Lucky McKay. Yeah. It was super yeah. fun. Uh, but that bug girl thing we did. Yeah, sick girl. Sick girl, right. Yeah. That was crazy. But, I mean, I remember we did the big, Oh God, it was so much fun. Yeah. Um, well, and yeah. the monsters you made for the second Carpenter for Pro Life. Oh God, that yeah, demon that monster yeah. was phenomenal. It was like legend. That was that was a cool. Yeah, and Derek Mears was in that suit. Yeah. And yeah. Um, that was a blast. And John was hilarious because no matter what, I always ask John. I try to squeeze things stories out of him. He won't budge. Oh no. You know, and I'm like, oh, tell me about this and this. And he always would say like, it's the same rubber shit you make. Okay. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, but Rob Bottini's like, Rob's not the hero. Dean Cundy's the hero. Dean knew how to shoot that, knew uh -huh. how to light it. He says, it's a bunch of fake rubber crap like you make. I'm like, well, thanks, John. That felt really good. <laughs> so Howard's answer to that question, uh, who is the who, who would be his favorite director to have a drink with is all of them. Yes. Like literally yes. every single director <laughs> he's, he can possibly all name. Yeah. They're all great. We had, they were all wonderful. I mean, we had the best time. It was the best experience, that show, getting all of these amazing people together to, to make what they wanted to make without a taskmaster. Yeah, you know? no, and yeah, you just let everybody do their thing. As long as I could, know? as they did it on time and on. I got to ask, um, because it's something that the directors that you were all talking about, um, and all the makeup guys uh, share, is this incredible love for what they're doing and this incredible enthusiasm. And I don't think it's something that's in every profession in, in, in movie making. It's not something that I see a lot of um, directors, a lot of um, technicians who, who maybe don't have that same sort of dorky glee. And uh, that's why Howard and I sort of kind of bonded in the first place. Well, it's because... also a matter of, you know, we live in a cinematic gutter uh, as far as respect goes. And we all support each other so much. You know, everybody on that show, they everybody wanted their show to be the best, but they wanted everybody to do their best work. And they, yeah. they loved seeing it and go, oh, you did such a great job with that. And nobody's threatened by anybody else in this genre, you know? Yeah, I think that's what we tried. That's actually what we ended up capturing in the book. It wasn't I wasn't sure what the vibe of the book was going to be until it sort of until it came together. But just that everybody supports each other. Everybody's just everybody starts from a position of of of, of fandom, and everybody loves what they're doing and is excited to see what everyone else is doing. Like, of course, there's always a bit of friendly competition. Yeah, but everyone is yeah. so excited not just to to get their own stuff out in the world, but to see what everybody else is is doing. And I just think that that's uncommonly um, nice and supportive. It started with Dick Smith, who was generous with all of these guys when they were kids. Uh, you know, they would write him or call him or something and he'd happily say well this is how i used bladders on the exorcist you know mm -hmm. yeah that's all true you know and then it just kept getting handed down and then rick baker and then so forth and so on and greg canham and um yeah no dick started it all 
you know, for the most part. And, um, you know, I, I, obviously Dick has passed away, but we, he's very well represented in the book. And, and that's something everybody always goes back to Dick Smith in the yeah. book it's always yeah. dick smith dick smith and you know and even we we interviewed we were lucky enough to talk to christopher tucker who did oh, yeah. company of, of wolves and elephant, elephant man, man yeah. and christopher was wonderful he and also did she wolf of london also did she Wolf. that's right oh i forgot about that yeah and um you know christopher had a close relationship with dick smith you know they would share I yeah that. i didn't know that oh. either and elephant man was a bit you know he called dick and said you know, should I do this movie? And Dick's huh. like, well, yeah, you know, it's, it's why not? It's going to be da da da. Yeah. You know? And they were they were collaborators, you know, in, in in talking. We learned a lot. Same with Star Wars. Like we, everyone. I mean, uh, Stuart Freeborn did everything in Star Wars, but we never knew that Christopher Tucker was involved with Star Wars. Huh. Uh, uh, yeah, and he brought it to us. Like it was. A, he kept calling Marshall. Oh, you want to tell? Yeah, tell it. Yeah, so so Christopher Tucker and I have become friends because he he told me um, once that um, all of his uh, original friends are all dead now, and he's basically uh -huh. outlived everybody. <laughs> so he's basically just sort of he want he wants to bring in a few younger friends so that he, uh -huh. you know that won't outlive him basically. But um, you know, usually when you do an interview, you know you, you arrange it, you do the interview, and then the interview is over. Um, Christopher just um, it took about five phone calls with him to arrange it, and then he just. Kept Kept calling me and just like at random times and then would talk for an hour so it's like he would tell me like a lot of the same stories like i really know everything about the elephant man <laughs> literally and um but he would like and every time he spoke he would tell me different stories and 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 then he started talking about star wars a bit and we knew that he had some sort of cursory involvement in star wars i'm a huge star wars fan um, i can see by the lucasfilm yeah. shirt oh uh, yeah, yeah yeah so um so he was working, uh, he, he worked on the um, Stuart Freeborn, he came in, didn't he, on the uh, Cantina sequence. So, um, and everything that, all the aliens that were introduced in the Cantina sequence, uh, Christopher had a hand in, including Chewbacca, because that's the first time that you see Chewie. And so they actually, he actually had a hand in and helping to design. Yeah, I mean, like, you know, it was crazy and Christopher told me some he told us some and he kept calling and then I would sort of once I realized that uh, you know he had some Star Wars stuff I kept uh, he was he would call me up and he would say I hope you're recording these pearls we don't want to miss any of these pearls and it's like you know okay it's good but then I did start recording it and we got so much extra stuff he talked about how at the end of shooting um, Star Wars that he, he was talking about how vague uh, George Lucas was to work with and yeah. uh, and how he just didn't like get anything that he was doing and how they didn't take any of it seriously oh, and wow. but it was like um, but he, he said he did say that after they saw the film he thought it was quite good he was surprised <laughs> he said he was surprised it was quite good he told me that um at the end of it at the end of once they shot everything um they said to george lucas what should we do with all this stuff and George said, well, there's a, what's, what's the American word for skip? Sort of like, like a dumpster. Yeah, he said, there's a dumpster outside. Just throw it all out. Wow. And and uh, and, and Freeborn's son and, and, and yeah, yeah, Graham Freeborn and Christopher, they, 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 they just took everything out and they dumped it. And you know, oh, I'm, I'm like, I'm like looking at him, like, like what, like, uh -huh. you, like what? It's like literally, <laughs> if I had like, like a finger off one of those aliens, I could like put my kids through, you know, university with that stuff. <laughs> and he said, well, yeah, if he'd, uh, if he'd known, then he would have put it all in the, in the boot of his car. But he said, um, 
they just couldn't imagine that anyone outside of an insane asylum would ever want this stuff. And it's like, just the other day he called me up and he was telling me stories that had nothing to do with films or anything. He said that he got a cab ride in Italy and the, the, the cab driver was driving too fast. And so he said, uh, he said he was sitting behind the cab driver and he said, slow down, you're being dangerous, slow down. And he said that the driver didn't slow down. He was going around the mountain and everybody was getting a bit nervous. And so Christopher Tucker said, and so I reached forward and I put my hands around his throat <laughs> and I said, slow down or I'm going to start to strangle you. And, uh, and he said, and, and the man didn't slow down. He was still driving. He said, so I actually started squeezing his throat. And the man was like saying, uh, you know, he st- then suddenly the driver was like, saying, what are you doing? Stop strangling me. And he's like, and Christopher said, I'm not going to stop strangling you. And he literally had his, held his hands on the guy's throat for the whole journey. And when they finally got to the destination, he said, um, they got out the guy didn't ask for money he just drove away as quickly as he could <laughs> i'll bet so it's like you know you hear that christopher tucker is quite a, a character and i can yeah. attest yeah. that he definitely is but yeah and, and you're right dick uh, and rick baker when they did a second unit yeah. rick and phil tip and all those guys built and doug beswick built all that iconic alien right. stuff which yeah. you know we yeah. all know and love well, we've got one last question, and since it's almost Halloween time, it feels appropriate. Uh, Rick asks, do you guys decorate your home for the holidays? I don't because we usually go over and spend time with Bill Malone at yes, his house. he does. And uh, he does big time. And he's he's got some of the props from Star Wars. He's got um, Robbie the Robot. He's got, well, the original He's, had, had, he sold, well, he's yeah. rebuilt a new one oh, that is oh. perfect, perfect, wow. and just amazing. And and he has, you know, Ripley's jacket from Alien. He's got all of these things. And so, yeah, and it's in a neighborhood where hundreds of kids are bust in from poorer neighborhoods and stuff and trick-or-treaters and the like. So that's how we usually spend our Halloween. That's a, That sounds fun. I didn't yeah, realize that. It's yeah. really great. Yeah, I, I decorate big time. Yes, you do. So I've even, yeah, photos, it's every yeah. year I'm big with doing it. And I, even last year, again, during the pandemic, you know, because of the weather here, you know, if you carve a pumpkin and then two days later it's rotted. Yeah. So I'm like, yeah. I'm going to sculpt a bunch of pumpkins. So I sculpted a bunch of monster pumpkins and molded them at the shop and um, ran them all in latex and polyfilm and painted them up in the backyard and have them all through, you know, this whole big walkway at the house. And uh-huh. and I'm going to go bigger this year, too. I've so. got to walk that. Yeah, it's fun. It's Yeah, this is like Super this cool. kind of like moat area. you got to walk over this bridge to get there and tons of stuff and severed heads and on spikes <laughs> and, you know, all that crazy music. And I'm going to even go bigger because I'm going to be in town this year. So uh, that's, um, awesome. that's the worst, like, when you're out of town. Yeah. You know, yeah. And you're like, oh, but it's Halloween. I, yeah. you know. I Actually, I remember on Riding the Bullet, we yeah. were shooting something. It was the very beginning. And it was with, with Jonathan. And, and uh, I remember walking over to you and I'm like, this feels just like Halloween. Like the way you had said it and the way the yeah. lighting was. Because it took place on Halloween. Yeah, yeah, right. right. And, I, and I was like standing there going, this feels just like Halloween. Because there's so many movies. Yeah. And you're like, that's not Halloween. Yeah. Right. Like, like I think right. John Carpenter captured it. Absolutely. I mean, like every time I watch, I can watch that on Christmas, and I'm like, yes. it's Halloween. Yeah, you I know? did an episode of um, uh, um, Once Upon a Time. Mm. I was shooting on Halloween, mm. but 
for uh, my second episode took place on Halloween, but not the one that we were shooting <laughs> oh, on Halloween. Oh, that's so. funny. <laughs> yeah, but it's it's you know it's Halloween's the best. I mean, that's like it's, our Christmas. I know yeah. a lot of effects people and people that love monsters and movies will say that it's like it's it's our it's our Christmas. But it is. It's we love it. You know, it's uh. it's. Uh, it's, well, it's a it's celebration, and your book is such a great celebration. Oh, thanks, and Mick. So appreciate having you guys come. Well, by. thank you so much. Uh, yeah, hey, we were just in the neighborhood, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Mar- yeah. Marshall just landed an hour ago from London, and yeah. I said, "Let's go visit Joe and Mick." You know, what <laughs> else? Just are we happened do? to catch us when we were recording. Yeah. Who would have thought? Yeah, you, you know, uh, and, yeah, what Marshall, a coincidence! Yeah, what yeah. a coincidence! Marshall, you've been up for thirty-six hours. Let's go to Mick's. Well, guys, yeah. so. you were you officially our first. Ask Mick anything, guess on. Yeah, on, oh, on it's, yeah. Wow. It's usually just me and Joe. Yeah. Me and Joe. So, this is so. a special. Well, this is cool. Well, thank yeah. you, thank you very much for having us. Oh, it's my pleasure. It's yeah, really thank you so much. We really appreciate it, and thank you for everything you did for the book as well. Oh, more than my pleasure, my honor, and I'm so pleased to be a part of it in any tiny way, and I look forward to to being a part of these massive signings coming yeah, up. Yeah, we the are next too. It's going to be great. Yeah. All yeah, it's uh, the one at Dark Delicacy is big. Yeah. So there's a lot of peeps coming. So, yeah. It's, so yeah, it's, check uh, check the website, find out where you can get the book, uh, or get it out of Howard's trunk. Yeah, or my trunk. <laughs> or so. But yeah, the signings, like if you go to, yeah, Dark Delicacy, you buy it there. If you go to the Academy, buy it there. So it's all good. Awesome. And you get like 30 people to sign it. Yeah, well, at the, yeah, there's going to be 20, right? wow. 22 people at oh the Dark God. Delicacy one. Yeah. Oh and so, God. you know, even Lou Zakarian, who does SNL, he's flying in Sunday just for the screen, wow. for the signing. Wow. And so I was, I felt very honored about that. But yeah, Billy's going to be there. Everybody's going to be, be there. We're going to have so, a good So yeah, it's going to be really, really fun. Really well, awesome. good luck with the book. Thank it's, you, my it's friend. It's very special. Thank you. And thank you again. Thank you, guys. Well, Mick, that was fun having some guests pop by. Yeah, that was uh, something new. Maybe we'll do it again soon. I think that might actually happen sooner than later. Might be in the cards. Well, thanks to our guests and thanks to our audience for their questions. And Joe, let tell them how they can ask Mick anything. They can send their questions to us on social media at Mick Garris PM on Twitter or Instagram. Or they can send them to me at Joe Russo Tweets or at Joe Russo Graham, respectively. And we have an email, Mick. It's askmickanything at (laughs) gmail.com. So you guys can email your questions there, too, and we will pick the best of the best to ask on air next time. Thanks a lot, Joe. Thank you, Mick. Thank you for listening to Postmortem with Mick Garris. Download new episodes every Wednesday and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. Thank you for listening to the Dread Podcast Network.